This is a Rooster Teeth production. August 3rd, 1942. The island of Malta was trapped in the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean during one of the most brutal naval battles of World War II. In desperate need of fuel, protection, and food, the islanders had one hope to survive, the SS Ohio. I'm Charlotte. I'm Patrick. Ahoy and welcome aboard Ship Hits the Fan, a podcast about some of history's most notable uh-ohs and whoopsies on the high seas. Yeah. Do you have a thing? Did you write a thing? I did. I did write a thing. Actually, so I, I started writing a thing and I was telling it, but I was saying that Malta was an old favorite on the show. Uh, I forgot that Francesco Chitino, captain of the Costa Concordia's mm-hmm. mistress, was Moldovan. And I oh, thought yeah, she yeah. was Maltese. Okay. So I was writing up a whole so thing. you were just wrong entirely. I was wrong Completely entirely. Wrong. And I'm so glad yeah. I checked it because I was like, what's her deal? We have lost all our cred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what little we have, mm-hmm. gone. Yeah. But... I, I retreated, I redoubled my efforts, and I came back stronger than ever. Okay. While the state of Ohio's main exports are comprised of novelty souvenir guitar picks from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and foodborne illnesses, in my case, mm-hmm. a ship of the same name attempted a daring act of heroism in the waters off Malta. If it weren't for this ship, it's likely no one would have ever had any reason to remember the name Ohio. <laughs> Not a lot going on. It's kind of a depressing place. To drive. Yeah, I, I, mean, I had to drive through once, and it was it's rough. Yeah, it's I mean Did it's got a good zoo, through. and the sure. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is worth seeing. Okay, which I found out that they they won out against some other major American cities because they were able to make the claim that rock and roll, the term, originated in Cleveland. Not the genre, the term. I I think in this case they're seen as one and the same that it was first okay. referred to as rock and roll, but like maybe there could have been some other term where it could have been in New York, like the 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 Devil Music Hall of Fame. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess that maybe be Georgia. I think that's jazz. It's the Devil's music. You know, Henry Ford. Uh, Is it okay? Was convinced that the Jews created jazz. Okay, and that's why it was evil. <laughs> All right, Henry yeah. Ford. Henry Ford. Uh, also a, a bit of a player in World War Two. Yeah. Yeah. Tanks, right? Yeah, but, but the, he's a land guy. And yeah, this is no, a oh, sea yeah, yeah. podcast. No, yeah. For, uh, decidedly a land guy. <laughs> Danny uh, Ford may be one of the most land guys. Yeah, yeah. So as with all stories from World War II, it's important to get a sense of when and how the island of Malta became trapped between the ally and Axis powers. I just want to, real quick, because mm-hmm. of uh, the the jazz that was infiltrating the minds of our youth, yeah. uh, perpetrated by Several the Jewish years before people. World War II. Sure. Um, that's why he introduced mandatory square dancing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> which, oh. Which I don't know about you, but I still did. Mandatory school. I did. We did square dancing every year. I think we did too, actually. Yeah, that's a Henry Ford thing. Was it really? Abate the evils of jazz. I didn't know that. (laughs) To bring decency back to it. I do remember being like, why the hell are we doing this? Yeah, but then then it goes out of your head when you do so, do swing your partner round and round. Right, of course. Naturally. I lose it all when I dance. It all goes. (laughs) My heart's in my feet when I'm square dancing. Uh, uh, go on. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk about Hitler and Mussolini. <laughs> <laughs> Not wow. square dancers, as uh, far as we know. No, but maybe Henry Ford's contemporaries. Yeah, yeah, right. A virulent racist and industrialist? Well, yeah, but also alive at the same time. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so while they are often lumped together as part of the Axis powers, historians usually reference their individual campaigns and the horrors they brought to their respective countries. But there was a brief moment in World War II they were actually working together. Specifically, working together near Malta. The ultimate team up. Oh, yeah. They hated each other. (laughs) 
Yeah. They did not like each other. Their hearts are so filled with hate. That it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. It's tough to find another guy that has that that much hate in their heart. Yeah. So even if you don't like each other, there's sort of, you know, you have to kind of. You have to kind of put aside your, your differences. Yeah. Few as they may be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Malta is an island on the Mediterranean Sea in between Sicily and the southern Italian coastline and Libya in North Africa. At this time, Libya was a fascist colony controlled by Italy. They, uh, Italy, they being Italy, Italy, officially took control of large sections of northern Africa in the early 1900s during the Italo-Turkish War. This is all pre-Mussolini. He's just a guy at this point. Yeah. Maybe a child. I don't know when he was born. <laughs> Probably not a child. <laughs> the prodigal no, child. No, he might be a child. <laughs> the prophesized yeah. Yeah, yeah. dictator. Uh, this was not the first time Italy had claimed ownership over portions of northern Africa. Mm-hmm. To, to your great surprise. Uh, <gasps> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Tell it, me more. Italy had first done that following the Russo-Turkish War in the late 1800s, in which Russia defeated large portions of the Ottoman Empire. Following the defeat, most of Europe met to essentially divide up territories among themselves. They love to divvy up oh, uh, yeah. everything. And this, I think, was still during the period of like a lot of European infighting, so it was kind of like, you know, who got what was very... Right, yes. That's where conflicts were playing out and stuff. So it's important to note that at no point were the people living in these places who were, you know, from those places consulted on who they belonged to, of course. I mean, that's 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 colonization. Standard standard practice, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Uh, During the Congress of Berlin in 1878, it was decided that France would take Tunisia and Great Britain would take Cyprus. Sure, okay. Italy, like kind of the younger sibling, just not wanting to be left out. They're happy to just get the Mad Cats controller and think they're it doesn't yes it doesn't have to be plugged in yeah it's got jets inside it that cool your hands yes and like most younger siblings also fascist controlling maniacs (laughs) hell-bent on uh control i mean it's the gaining territory perfect environment to create a monster yes so italy also shouts out to the youngest siblings uh (laughs) i'm sure both of ours are lovely yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm a big fan of of mine yeah yeah yours i think i met yeah probably yeah uh so Italy, not wanting to feel left out, laid claim to Libya and parts of modern-day Ethiopia. In order to keep Italy happy, Great Britain agreed to support their claims to Libya, as long as Italy supported Great Britain's claims to Egypt. Just, so, just made up, it's, just yes. trading, yeah, yeah, yeah. trading monopoly but like, bucks. That they, they don't want to have to created. argue with France about control of Egypt. So if they get Italy to say, well, Italy said actually this something. is mine, and then and, and France is like, bang, yeah, <laughs> shoot. So uh, speaking of the French. Italy also signed treaties with France, supporting French control of Morocco, as well as a number of other northern African territories. So this ended infighting in Europe over who owned what in Africa. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Glad they sorted out who owned Africa. This is one of the most uh, Dover continents (laughs) of all time. Uh Over the next 35 years or so, each of these countries would take turns fighting with the Ottomans over their respective colonies, except for Italy. Italy had largely played nice with the Ottoman Empire because the Ottoman Empire was playing nice with Germany and it's all, you know, European <laughs> politics of the early 1900s. I, yeah, it's confusing. I mean, all, all basically all this eventually just leads to World War One. Just yeah. the powder keg of alliances yeah. and, exactly. <laughs> and ties and, exactly. and royalty. That's what we're getting to. There's also growing pressure from young socialists within Italy to avoid a war. Notably, a young Benito Mussolini. Oh, yeah. Look at his little face. I know. 
Whether it was pressure from within or diplomacy from outside, the Ottomans proposed an agreement to transfer the ownership of Libya without a war. Uh, well, Italy disagreed and declared war. No. In 1911. <laughs> uh, they were not particularly good at war, mm. Italy. Okay. They sent thousands of soldiers to the Libyan shoreline and they quickly conquered it but could not get any further than the shoreline. <laughs> I would really love to be there for the they celebration. The yeah, after the initial yeah. acquisition. Yeah. They were untrained and outnumbered. There were only two things working in their favor. Number one, the Ottoman Empire didn't have a navy. So, I mean, that's, yeah, that's yeah, important. You, you, especially yeah. in capturing beaches. Maybe there was no one on the beach. Could be. Just a couple beach goers. Yeah. The ball. Uh, number two, the Italian army decided to use a previously untested war machine. The, the airplane. Oh, the airplane. No, not okay. the <laughs> That's a few years later. Oh, sure, yeah, sure. The plane, <laughs> uh, which had been invented not that long beforehand. No. The, the like, speed in which we developed aircraft technology from, like, a bike with wings. Yes. Into, is, it's insane. It, man was never meant to take to the skies. In but we general, seem to have a pretty strong aptitude for it. That's the thing is, is we're really good at it. Yeah. And it's really disconcerting. Yes. Because they were like, I'm going to go up. And everyone's like, you won't go up. And then they go up. <laughs> and then, and then like, we're on the moon 60 years <laughs> exactly, later. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And now, you know, we put guns on the airplane. So it's only a matter of time before SpaceX uh, starts outfitting its ships, I'm sure, with some sort of cannon rounds. <laughs> yeah. So, Which we will cover. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Bested in the sky and on sea. By 1912, the war was over and Italy owned Libya and the outlying islands, including Malta. So they were very bad at it, but they yep. succeeded just by sheer force of will. Yes. Okay. And planes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so following the First World War, Italy did maintain control of Libya, but not easily. The Ottomans had ruled North Africa for a considerable amount of time, which meant that a large portion of the people in North Africa were still Muslim, regardless of what Italy said. And funny how people are, are uh, not so easily persuaded to change their core belief system. <laughs> it's weird. Despite trying again I don't know. and again. I don't know. Again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So in particular, a Sufi order called Sanusi, named after an Algerian political and spiritual figure, Muhammad ibn Ali as Sanusi, didn't like the erasure of Islam from the region. They began attacking multiple colonizer puppet governments throughout Northern Africa. Puppet governments. No. It's not. No. Oh. It's not what you're thinking. It's not. No. It's not Muppets. No. Okay. No. I, I had to ask. <laughs> yeah, no. Because, you know. I get it. Yeah. yeah. In 1923, it was Italy's turn. Idris of Libya, the grandson of Muhammad ibn Ali as-Sanusi, began uniting groups and tribes throughout the Libyan region with the specific intent of overthrowing Italy's control in the region. Bad timing, because yep. Italy was going through some troubles of their own back home. The year before Idris began strategic attacks, Italy had an upset of their own. Since World War I, unrest and infighting had grown within Italian socialist political parties. This is a very complicated and nuanced issue that could cover a number of episodes on its very own. Not, not on, on our show, podcast. Yeah, it's, we, we not much boat stuff. Uh, but we'll keep it brief. Much like Hitler had in Germany, a young upstart had united a number of formerly socialist groups under a party of nationalism and fascism. That was Mussolini. Ah. Yeah. On October 29th, 1922, Mussolini had marched about 30,000 of his followers into Rome. I've got like 40,000 on Twitter. 
yeah it's more impressive nothing. and they would march to rome with you absolutely yeah <laughs> okay. and you could that's the best part about your Rome. you could pick any road yeah yeah. <laughs> they, they all go there slauson slauson yeah yeah cahuenga cahuenga goes rome. to rome sentinella rome, rome. On October 29th, 1922, Mussolini had marched about 30,000 of his followers into Rome, much as Caesar had marched his armies across the Rubicon. Upon arriving in Rome, he demanded the Prime Minister's resignation and expressed the desire to run Italy. Please, please, can I run Italy? I just want to do it so bad. Well, I mean, they gave it to him. I feel like I'd be Uh, really good at it. Yeah. Fearing a civil war, the king handed power over to Mussolini. Oh. Yeah. Who had the support of the military and the working class. He immediately got to work becoming a fascist autocrat. Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. In 1923, he was still new to the dictator game. He was a little, you know... Uh, green. Yeah, green. But, yeah. but he saw Libya as a chance to show his strength. He had promised a return to the grandeur of ancient Rome. God, it's the same stupid... These, <laughs> these people, they don't change. It's no. a return to tradition. Yes. It's, yeah, we have yeah. to go back to the old ways when things were good. Yes. Uh, and to do so, he needed to maintain and expand his empire. Mm. His orders were simple. Kill everyone. Oh. Yeah. Wipe the slate clean. Yeah, clean yeah. Clean yeah. reset. He sent thousands of troops to the three provinces in Libya. Tripolitania, Fazan, and Cyrenaica. 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 Uh, specifically, he sent the most troops to the mountain regions of Cyrenaica, where they massacred a quarter of the total population. Oh. There's one thing fascism is pretty good at. Yeah. Uh, it is the wholesale slaughter of humanity. Yeah. It is It is um, wiping the earth of anyone different mm-hmm. and any number. It is believed that they killed over 60,000 of the indigenous people in the region. But that was not enough for Mussolini. He wanted to make an example of the Libyans. They used chemical weapons indiscriminately. They shot surrendering combatants and killed any civilians in their path. The list of war crimes they committed against the Libyans is lengthy, cruel, and disturbing. This was not war, it was genocide. Oh. Yeah, I've I've I have like I'm I have some familiarity with like Italy in World War II and their stuff in Northern Africa, and it is it's horrifying. Just some wild yeah. ass type shit. I mean it's World War II, so it's all, you know, like No holds barred. It's such an insane huge thing that like there's a good chance. You don't know about like the work, you know, like I mean, some I, atrocity that happened. Yeah, absolutely. This is, I think, one of those. Yeah, but uh, and and we are gonna get to the boat. The boat. Sit tight. The boat. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. Oh, you're joking. It's all important. This is important context. Italy pushed further into Ethiopia and other surrounding territories, continuing to expand their empire, while Europe turned a blind eye to the atrocities. It wasn't until Italy supported Germany in its annexation of Poland that the rest of Europe took any notice, which obviously by then was way too late. At this point, you're probably wondering, what does all of this have to do with Malta? What does all of this ship? have to do with Malta and Specifically the ship? Specifically the SS Ohio. Yeah, the S- Ohio. Well, I'm so glad you asked. Malta was a strategic port in between mainland Italy and North Africa, and as such, it needed constant supervision. The Germans had men to spare and one of the best naval forces on the sea, and so they let Italy borrow troops to secure the region and the surrounding seas. That was nice of them. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, this is, this is when uh, the hitler x mussolini collab is well underway. Uh-huh. They were known colloquially at the time as the Africa Corps, a retinue of Nazis specifically tasked with upholding Italian interests in North Africa. So with Nazis on the scene, the war crimes just got worse. Uh, it's funny how that happens. Weird. By 1941, while unable to conquer Libya or Italy, the Allied forces had managed to capture Malta. That meant that they had a base for launching attacks at either shore. It's a very important strategic location, essentially. Mm. Mm. Unfortunately, capturing Malta was just the beginning. 
Defending Malta and holding on to the port proved to be a Herculean task. With the Africa Corps involved, the sea surrounding Malta was now filled with U-boats. Like every sea of the day. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. There was a small airfield on Malta, but German and Italian planes patrolled the sky as well. Soon, the Allies realized they had a problem. They had the perfect port, but no way to use it or supply it. Mm. They're kind of surrounded on all sides, so they have a, they have this great location, but basically nothing to do with it. Yeah, it, it's like a it's like a terrible apartment in like a a great spot in town. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like this is a great location. It does not have any sinks. No, and it would cost <laughs> so much to tear it down that it's not worth it. Right. So you pay four k and you get yeah, to yeah. Pay and you don't have plumbing. Down. Soon, the inhabitants of Malta were starved and surrounded with little hope for surviving amidst the Axis blockade around them. Enter the SS Ohio! We got there. Better? No. On April 20th, Hitler's birthday, 1940, the SS Ohio was built as an oil tanker for the Texas Company, now his known... His birthday was 420? Yeah, you didn't know that? Maybe I did. Yeah. Okay, so the SS Ohio was built as a tanker for the Texas Company, now known as Texaco. The Ohio was not initially intended to be a battleship. On the contrary, it was built for hauling cargo, specifically oil barrels and even a small amount of passengers. And this was before uh, America had officially entered mm. the war. Unfortunately, passengers did have to ride in barrels. Yeah, but that was fun. <laughs> Whee! Uh, America would still remain on the sidelines of the war for another year, but that didn't mean we were not supplying the Allies who had already joined the fray. Mm. We were still building ships for, you know, like normal non-wartime reasons. We're always building ships. Yeah, you've got to build more ships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even so, the company that built the Ohio had a hunch that a battle might be on the horizon. That's why we've outfitted the Ohio with a nuke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Reportedly, the architects of the Ohio, along with a number of other companies building oil tankers, consulted with the army to build ships that could be quickly converted if need be. Thus, mm. the Ohio was built quickly and huge. <laughs> <laughs> Big. Oh, yeah. At 515 feet in length, the Ohio is as long as one and a half football fields. Can you imagine getting to watch that much football played? That's American football? That's American football, yeah. 150 yards. Wow. It was capable of carrying 170,000 barrels of oil. That much oil is way more than Texaco could ever really need to transport at one time for civilians. Yeah, that's a lot. How yeah. many mammoths is that? Uh, Like 13, oh, 14, okay. something like that. It's in that range. It's somewhere around the 13 to 14. Generate about 170,000 barrels. Even with such a large amount of cargo, the ship was capable of traveling at 16 knots, and in an unusual twist, they chose to weld most of the supporting structures of the ship as opposed to riveting them. Now, this is a constant debate that we have with each other on this show, the welding versus riveting debate. Yeah, Patrick is a strong believer in the the riveting, and, and and I say, no, you must weld. And, and I it's say led, you're completely out of your mind. Yeah, it's led to a lot of yeah. really ugly uh, discussions. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, screaming it's, it's matches. It's fractured our friendship, yeah. yeah. Throwing things across the office. Uh, but, you know, maybe this maybe this will help mend things. Oh, uh, oh yeah, currently, almost, almost weld our friendship back or together. Or rivet it, yeah. Okay, well, we'll talk later. <laughs> Ultimately, a blend of the two techniques would win out, so perhaps there's a lesson there. I don't think so. No, you not really, yeah. Finally, the cargo storage was divided into 21 separate tanks, and that separation will be very important later on. Okay. Yeah, no, it is. It's it's, it's a big deal. For the first year or two of the Ohio's life as a boat, it basically just transported fuel up and down the Delaware River. All right. You have something to say? Uh, You know what? The vibes are there. What is it? I don't need to say anything specifically about Philadelphia and the SS United States, Mm Mushulu, Battleship New Jersey. Okay. 
Go birds. Just run out the clock here. <laughs> we got to fill time, Patrick. So it would make the journey in approximately four days at around 17 knots, rarely full to capacity. Because like we said, there was really no need to fill that thing to capacity. Yeah, the Hummer H2 had not block. hit the streets <laughs> yeah, yet. Yeah. That The car we use now to transport <laughs> most of our fuel, the no, H2. I'm just saying in terms of use. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, essentially the SS Ohio, it just wasn't living up to its full potential. It was kind of stuck in its, you know, its small town. Yeah. Had, it wanted to get out there. I want to see the world. Yeah. Father. <laughs> so meanwhile, over in Malta, allied forces were fighting in North Africa against the German Africa Corps. And the fight was going pretty well for them. For most of 1940 to late 1941, they had been able to get supplies to Malta and disperse them with no issue. But then the Axis forces caught on. From January of 1941 to August of 1942, the Allies had lost 25 ships just in attempting the deliveries to Malta. We could, That's 25 episodes of our show <laughs> lost. That's two seasons. Yeah. Or no, well, that's like gained, I guess, yeah, if yeah. we ever got the, our hands on the stories, yeah. on the records. Even more than that, multiple ships were delayed and diverted to avoid sailing through the U-boat infested waters. Those are episodes we lost. Yes. 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 Allied forces had launched two convoys, Harpoon and Vigorous, from Gibraltar and Alexandria, respectively, but both had largely failed. That's Even a shame, because they had such cool names. I know. Well, yeah, yeah. Even if some of the ships arrived, they didn't have the volume of supplies Malta needed, and they could only carry small amounts at a time. Vigorous, in particular, was forced to turn back and never made it to Malta in the first place. By August, the people of Malta were slowly starving to death with rations separated out by caloric intake. Oof. That's not good. Never good when you get down into counting the calories for <laughs> how no, you feed your people. You have to financially be doing really well or really poorly to be doing that. Mm -hmm. The average adult was lucky to get 1,500 calories per day. Uh, which is tremendously low. Yeah. And that was the lucky ones. That same month, they started a campaign to slaughter all the livestock on the island. Not for food, but so that they wouldn't have to feed them. Yeah. If they didn't have to feed cows, they could feed people the food that was meant for the cows, which may last them another week or two. If they didn't receive more supplies by September, they would be forced to surrender, and all hope for an Allied victory in the Mediterranean would die with them. Mm -hmm. By 1942, the US had entered the war following Pearl Harbor, and they joined forces with the UK in hopes of getting ships through the blockade. They began planning one final convoy to Malta under the name Operation Pedestal. The Allies collected 14 merchant ships, and most notably for us, the SS Ohio. It was the largest merchant ship in the convoy, capable of carrying the most supplies. Big Haas. Oh yeah. They also simultaneously arranged for air reinforcements during the convoy. The Axis forces didn't know exactly what the Allies were planning, but they knew they were planning something. <laughs> As they began to amass ships on the outskirts of the Axis-controlled waters, they increased their presence in the area, making the convoy even more risky. The Ohio arrived for staging, fully stocked with supplies, excited to finally see action, only to be informed that the entire crew and captain would be offloaded in favor of a British crew. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. The American crew was pissed, but ultimately, the order stood. The English can't help but take over the territory of another it's nation. It's nature. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Thanks, guys. We're going to... Oh, we don't need this you. This is ours We just now. want the boat. Yeah, we just want the big boat. Yeah. Wow. So, fully staffed, the Ohio now had a crew of 77, 24 of which were gunners. Okay. <laughs> That's a lot. That is a lot. 
In the interim, between Pearl Harbor and being requisitioned for Operation Pedestal, the SS Ohio had gained fancy new artillery. Mm. People on this, uh, people who end up on this show love putting guns, More guns. on boats yeah. that aren't equipped to carry guns. I mean, I don't think that was an issue here. I think it, I think it worked out fine. I think they but needed it's still them. a running yeah. theme. Well, no, if, if this were like a classic ship hits the fan app, mm-hmm. there would be 24 gunners. And then after this successful campaign, they would have added 600 more gunners. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the boat would have broken <laughs> in half like a Twix bar. Yeah. Uh, so the Ohio was loaded with supplies. You, have a tw- you ever have a Twix? Yes, I've had a Twix. It's good. It's good. Yeah, it's, it's great good candy. candy. Of course, it's, it's it's maybe the most baked good like candy. It's a cookie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Thinking. Yeah. I'll, I'll let it stand. <laughs> so the Ohio is loaded with supplies, specifically fuel. They were the only ship capable of carrying fuel in the quantities the island needed. No other ships had fuel aboard. Huh. I mean, it was an oil tanker. So, by August 8th, 67 vessels, ships, and submarines had assembled for the convoy. That sounds cool as hell. I would, I mean, like, that's a montage, putting that together. We're putting together a convoy. Oh, yeah. We won't get fooled again. (laughs) That convoy set out from Gibraltar the next morning. Yeah. The first day was uneventful, but as they approached enemy waters the following day, German reconnaissance spotted them. Probably not super hard. Look! (laughs) 67 ships. (laughs) Are you sure? They attacked immediately. U-boats torpedoed the aircraft carrier HMS Eagle. That sank in four minutes, killing 260 crewmen and losing all but four planes. For reference, the HMS Eagle was capable of carrying 25 to 30 aircraft at a time. So if they were fully loaded, they likely lost between 20 to 26 planes. Uh, Obviously, at this point, their cover is blown. (laughs) And on August 12, 1942, German and Italian air forces bombed the convoy. In the melee of the airstrike, an Italian submarine fired torpedoes at the SS Ohio and she was struck amidship. Because her cargo was nearly entirely fueled, this created a large explosion and fire aboard the ship. However, however, remember how it was all divided up into different containers aboard I the ship? I do remember that. Do you remember that and how I said it would be important later? You did. Now is the later. Now it is important. Because that cargo was divided up into 21 different containers, only some of them had actually ignited. The rest of the fuel was still viable and relatively safe on board. Assuming wow. another you know, torpedo didn't hit them. Yeah. yeah, wouldn't that be a shame? Yes, the, I don't. The crew members on board are quoted as saying, "Like, oh, we've made a mistake. <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't have taken this boat." The torpedo had blown a hole in the side of the ship more than twenty-five feet in diameter. And here's some context: that's two Priuses. No, what? Wait, yeah, in diameter. I what mean, Prius is that long? Well, two Priuses next to each other. Twenty-five feet. Yeah. A Prius is not 12 and a half feet long. Uh, are you sure about that? <laughs> it can't be. <laughs> right? Is it? Uh, no. Yeah, a Prius is 15 feet long. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. You're making, let me see. That. Let me see. It's, there's nothing to see. It's, <laughs> I'm, Prius is I'm, not 15 It's 180 feet. inches. 180 inches. <laughs> 180 Wait, inches is 15 feet. They're not, no. <laughs> yes, they Wait, are. I don't believe this. Cars are, car. yes, that's not even like a big car, I don't think. A Prius is 15 feet long? Yeah. No, it is not. What do you want me to tell a, you? It's I don't so know much what to shorter tell than you. that. There's no way. You're telling me that like three children stacked are, are, are the length of a Prius? 
I don't yeah, buy or it. Or three little guys. Three little guys. Three short kings on yeah. the ground. I, Our Prius. So, so what you're saying is this hole is three short guys. Six short guys. Yeah. yeah I yeah. just don't. I'm shocked. I don't. I, 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 my brain is not allowing me to accept this information. Okay. I don't think a Let Prius me, is that long. You're wrong. You're objectively, you're just wrong. Um, let me see. Uh, Hummer H2. <laughs> Let me, I'm trying to put this into terms you might understand. So Hummer H2 is 190 inches. So only only 10 inches bigger Wait. Hummer H2 than a Prius. I don't. This doesn't make sense though. Well, here's here's where the confusion might be coming in. I'm talking about the 2022 Prius. You oh, might be well, obviously. Thinking, I'm talking about the 2015. You might be thinking okay, because I, I thought maybe you're talking about the 2014, <laughs> which was 176 inches. <laughs> I can't believe cars are that long. Yeah. The 2010 Toyota Prius is 175. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> we got to move on. Do we? Because no, this is we good riffing. This is really um, good stuff. This is here. We found an animated bit. The animation was just asking me yesterday for some more gold. <laughs> now I can send them this. Anyway, the Prius, uh, Charlotte, again, wrong on this show on the record. I just I, I want to go measure Prius. my, it's my actually, car. So it's it's. Not almost the length of two Priuses. It's, it's less, less than. than the length yeah. of two Priuses. Well, depending on what year. No, still less than. No, it's from what we saw. But yeah. <laughs> so from the side of the hole, they could look down into the center of the ship. Undeterred, the crew put the fire out and managed to repair the ship, and it continued sailing at approximately 13 knots. The explosion had destroyed the gyro compass and shifted the magnetic compass off its bearings, so the captain was effectively navigating blind. But oh, they still pressed on. I hate when my gyro compass is destroyed. I wouldn't let that happen to mine. Realizing that the Ohio carried the fuel, the bombers now focused on the ship. The ship's gunners went to work. They shot down multiple aircraft, sending bombs intended for the ship into the sea around it. Yeah. One gunner shot a Junkers Ju-87 or a Stuka bomber down over the ship. That sure would. I think they're both planes. Okay. Uh, severing the wing. The plane crashed into the water alongside of the vessel, showering the crew in plane debris, including the severed wing. The wing would Ooh. remain on deck for the bulk of the rest of the battle. Jeez. Yeah. Annihilated that Stuka plane. Stuka bomber sounds like a Minnesota thing. And a Junkers Ju-87. What is that? Junkers Ju? Like a, like a French uh, sauce? Oh, Ju? Oh, oh, you think jus? it's Ju? I think it's Ju. Junker yeah. Ju. It's a German. Oh, oh, it's the same ship. It's the same ship? That's or It's the same plane. It's just a different name for the same plane. Oh, the Stuka bomber. Yeah, Stuka. Yeah, Stuka. Bombers managed to drop bombs along the side of the ship, which detonated, lifting the already badly damaged ship completely out of the water. Whoa. But she landed right side up and just kept going. Oh, I don't. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Eventually, though, one of those bombs did connect, sending the ship hard to port. Left. Four letters. Thank you. Their electricity went out, but they fixed it and kept on going. The boiler fires went out and they raced against time to get them restarted. Within 20 minutes, they were sailing again as if they hadn't been bombed. Just, you know covered in pieces of a broken plane and then bombed again. Yeah. No sooner had they taken off that uh, they were bombed again. <laughs> this time, us. Yeah. This time destroying their fuel pump. So unable to get the ship started, the crew abandoned ship to the HMS Penn. But not for long. They still had to get that fuel to Malta. They had this was to. the only ship that had the fuel on it, remember. So they tied the boats together with rope they found on board the HMS Penn and began to tow the Ohio back on course to Malta. But as you can imagine, kind of slow going. I mean, this is a massive ship. Yep. The Germans saw this and bombed them again. And again, the gunners shot down the plane, but not before it dropped its payload directly over the hole where the Ohio had been torpedoed. Oh my God. 
They were sitting ducks just all night. Another ship arrived in the morning, and they began towing again at five knots. Two more ships joined as they moved toward the island, while the Ohio continued taking heavy attacks. This has surely been made into a film by now, right? I don't know, but this is the coolest, like... This is awesome. Yeah. Sailors climbed aboard the additional ships, and some even back onto the Ohio to continue shooting down planes, but not before one of them dropped a bomb directly behind the Ohio in its wake. This caused the ship to lurch forward, and it began to break in half. Only 45 miles out from the port in Malta, and the Ohio was slowly sinking. Thankfully, now within range of the island, a coordinated airstrike was able to fight off further attacks. A series of tugboats sailed out from Malta to join the ships towing the Ohio into harbor. Sick. Yes. Damn. Once in port, pipes were brought on board to pump out the remaining fuel from the ship. Despite being bombed half a dozen times and straight up breaking in half, the ship still had most of its cargo. That is incredible. Just limping across the finish line. I mean, being pulled by other people across yeah. the finish line. And just constantly being bombed. Like, yeah. Nearly the entire island came out to celebrate as the Ohio made it into port. And to this day, there are displays and museum exhibits devoted to the ship. That's cool. Yeah. As the final drops of fuel were retrieved, it completely broke in two. With no resources to repair it on the island, it was hauled on shore and used for storage and even a barracks. Huh. Yeah. Dudley Mason who captained the Ohio for Operation Pedestal, was awarded the George Cross for, quote, skill and courage of the highest order, and it was due to his determination that, in spite of the most persistent enemy opposition, the vessel, with her valuable cargo, eventually reached Malta and was safely berthed. Huh. Do you think they said that at the award ceremony? <laughs> word yeah. for word? Yeah, definitely. In 1946, following the war, the two halves of the ship were towed out into deep water and deliberately sunk. The final ship built for Texaco's fleet was named for the SS Ohio to honor the ship. The Star Ohio is still operational and currently sails for Chevron. Ah, private sector work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, retired from the military. Any good hero yeah, now yeah. Is, is, is working to, to better our world mm -hmm. uh, by it's bringing Chevron. Chevron oil yes. to uh, a corner near you. <laughs> that is the SS Ohio. Which is a I love the frantic dash at the end of just like dragging this. Ship I know, that is like desperately tugboats trying to fall just apart. like uh, arriving on scene to pull this, this yeah. beleaguered uh, ship across the finish line. This one's cool. I know. And and dear listeners, if you're wondering what happened to those nasty uh, fellas, Hitler and Mussolini, worry not. Nothing good. <laughs> Nothing good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't actually remember exactly what happened to Mussolini, oh. but uh, Hitler ha had a bunker. Let me find the, because, uh... I mean, the people got him, right? I, I think the Duce was taken out by his, uh, <laughs> yes, by his own people in a, uh, let's see. Yes, neither of those men had happy ends. No. Uh, uh, very so, fitting of, of yes, their legacy. Yes. <laughs> May uh, they rot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Any th any thoughts, Patrick? Final thoughts? Yeah. No. Um, okay. I think if I were, if if I could choose a, this would be a cool one to be at. And if I survived. Yeah. You know, I, it's it's uh, it's unfortunate that so much of uh, World War Two has been just kind of like churned out for like low grade entertainment because like, oh, yeah, if I saw a trailer for this story, I'd be like, I'm not seeing that. Like, I don't, yeah, did you see yeah. Midway with Tom Hanks? No, I didn't. No. Yeah. I mean, like they can't all be Dunkirk, but yeah. like this is one that I would love to see uh, given given its due. But um, shouts out to the crew, to the to the whole um 
Texaco family. <laughs> and uh, Chevron. And Chevron. Sponsor today's show. You know, the people of Malta. Yeah. Um, colonization. Co- yeah, colonization. Big, uh, uh, well. Uh, now you already said it. It's too late. I was going to say big disappointment that, yeah, it, that it happened. Um. <laughs> big uh, stain on, on the legacy of, of uh, leading countries. Yeah. Yeah. In keeping with today's episode, this honorable mention comes to us from Italy, specifically Venice, Ooh. a city known for its canals, guys singing in canoes, yeah, and apparently abandoning your boat. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And it stink. Does it have a stink? There's the canals smell quite bad. Okay. Yeah, because pollution is a massive problem yeah. there, I know. And uh, we're going to get into some of that right, right. now. Lay yeah. on me. Uh, the Venetian Lagoon, which is... The- <laughs> That's my favorite wrestler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, which is the bay in which the city of Venice is located, has long been a dumping ground of sorts for people looking to unload troublesome watercraft. That's my other favorite this, wrestler. Getting rid of a boat that doesn't really work anymore, I believe, is very expensive and annoying. I mean, And I, one I thing you it. can do is just sail Sink the boat it. out somewhere and leave. Without the boat. Oh, you don't even sink it. You just... You could sink it, you but you can also just... It, you could also just leave, leave it. Leave it. Yeah. Yeah. No one would be the wiser. Yeah. This is obviously a problem for a number of reasons, among them pollution. I mean, they leak gas, oil. They're made of fiberglass, so like yeah. the plastics just break down and leak into the water supply. Uh, they also are a kind of a hazard for other, you know, undumped boats. Yeah. Boats that are still operational, <laughs> well, who may dumped. ride atop them. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. It's a bad thing. And unfortunately, according to an article in The Guardian, this is very low on the priority list for the local government. Okay. Uh, yeah. Most of these boats have been there forever. Someone in the article, the article was essentially about like this guy and a, a group of people who are kind of trying to like badger the government uh, until they do Venice. something yeah. about it. Because he said there was a fishing boat that he recognized from 40 years ago that he found. Oh my God. <laughs> just out like, there. Oh yeah. They're just like, they're just there. And it's like, I think the lagoon is pretty shallow. Yeah. So, a lot of these boats are visible. They're just <laughs> yeah, just barely cresting the water. And the one of the reasons that it's so hard to like get them out is because apparently the lagoon is under the control of twenty six different organizations, mm-hmm. different like policing bodies or whatever. Yes. So like someone might see a boat and have the capability to get to, rid of to it. Say look but at they that. Don't have yeah. The jurisdiction, I guess. No I clearance. Know. I there's. It's so good that there's so much red tape and. Uh, mm-hmm bureaucracy even in this some of uh, it might also just lagoon. be like i don't want to do that well, i mean i would say I'm sure there's a lot of it's like that yeah too <laughs> it, well yeah. that's that's the point is you you're able to always constantly pass the buck to one of the other 25 organizations <laughs> responsible for this area yeah but you know they did point to some other kind of uh you know, dumped boat recovery efforts there's one in washington state that i guess has been very successful here in the u.s okay um because dumping boats, not just, and I know what you were thinking, no, not just an Italian issue. <laughs> Is Other it an Italian-American issue? Well. <laughs> In Washington? I guess I didn't look into it that deep. It could, maybe it is an Italian issue after all. Uh, but yeah, no. It, second generation. This is definitely, obviously, this is a thing that just happens everywhere. Because <laughs> yeah. boats are annoying to get rid of. Especially yeah. if it's just, you're scrapping it or whatever. I don't know. But yeah. Very difficult to get these things out. They're not good. It's believe it or not, it is not good. This is like driving a car into the water and just being like, oh. Well, no, this is more like leaving it. a car on the road. On the freeway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You drive it onto the freeway yeah, yeah. and then you get out and you go, 
take off Ooh. the plates and yep. you just kind of slink okay. across the, yeah, the highway. File the VIN off and you're good to go. <laughs> you, well, you want to use an ass. Anyway, if you are in Venice and have an old boat, please, there's got to be some, there's got to be a scrap send it or something. To just rent us. a trailer or send it to us. Send it to us. It can't be that expensive to rent a non-seaworthy or to, to uh, buy passage for a non-seaworthy ship to the United <laughs> to the west coast of the United States. But we're coastal. Imagine if we we're, were in coastal, like Iowa. How difficult you'd that have would to go be. through the canal or something, right? Or you just go around all the way around the horn. Yeah, around the horn. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I don't know. Look, there's a way to do it. <laughs> so figure it out. Not my problem. How it gets here. Anyway, that's all we got today. That's it, folks. That's it. I wanna. I wanna. I wanna. I. I want to. I wanna oh thank. God. Okay. I yeah. wanna thank. Paige Wesley for writing the script. I want to uh-huh. thank Kelly Reynolds for editing the episode. I want to uh-huh. thank Stevie Jute for making the art. Mm. And I want to thank most of all myself. Okay. And Patrick, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to go measure my car. All right, see you next week. <laughs> May your bones bleach in these sands. Mm.